This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. I think a leader needs to be able to, once they're persuaded that we're marching in the right direction, be able to inspire courage amongst the people that they're leading to be able to make this thing. So remember, I, my understanding of leadership, and at least what I've been able to do is that you are not the implementer, right? Your job is to buff the vision, develop it, and influence your people enough to carry it as their own. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and thanks for joining another episode designed to help you better lead at the top of your game. Now, as you know, for season three, each month we're featuring leaders who have interesting roles in a particular industry. And today's episode is part of our special series featuring the perspectives of journalists and editors in the media. On today's show, we're going to give you a taste of journalism from the continent of Africa. Now, in America, much of our news is U.S.-centric, but I can tell you that after having traveled extensively throughout the globe myself, I know that the rest of the world is absolutely fascinating and are also doing groundbreaking things as well. So if you haven't added a global news outlet to your list of content providers, you are definitely missing out and may soon be left behind for not recognizing global trends in both life and business. Now, one of the areas in the world, uh, as I mentioned, who has definitely expanded their influence on the global stage in the past decade is the full continent of Africa. To give us a taste of some buzzworthy stories, I'm so pleased to have on today's show, Boni Tunya, who is BBC Africa's editor for co-production where he manages partnerships between the BBC and local television networks in Kenya. Boni is a distinguished journalist who has covered business and political stories in Africa for over a decade and was previously CNBC Africa's East Africa anchor. Definitely listen to how Boni made a career pivot from veterinary medicine to journalism and how more extensive access to the internet in the early 2000s has fueled business and opportunity throughout Africa to the height that it is today. And lastly, remember to stay tuned for just two minutes after the episode to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Take, where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. Today's episode is part of our special series featuring the perspectives of journalists and editors in the media from around the world. And we are so pleased to have on today's show, Boni Tunya, who is BBC Africa's editor for co-production, and he's going to tell us what that means in a minute. (laughs) 
but he looks after the partnerships between the BBC and the local television networks in Kenya. And prior to this role, he was BBC Africa's senior broadcast journalist for business. And before that, he was CNBC's East Africa anchor. And a cool fact about Boney is that he has interviewed eight presidents and several heads of states and governments. And so, you know, we're going to have to hear a little bit about that because that is leadership at a super high level. But welcome to the podcast, Boney. Thanks for having me. This is it's such an honor for me here. Oh, it's an honor to have you. Definitely. We are excited for you to give us a sneak peek into some of your perspectives on some great stories or people that you have learned about across your professional journey. But before we do that, uh, we'd love to learn a little bit about you personally. So just as for as much as you feel comfortable, we'd love you to share a little (laughs) bit about maybe where you grew up, your educational pursuits, and do you have Mm -hmm. any personal hobbies that you'd love to share? Yeah, sure. Great. So thanks for having me. Um, My name is Boni Tunya. I am a Pan-African journalist based out of Nairobi, Kenya. I have been a journalist for over 15 years now. So started uh, in the local TV here in Kenya and went to South Africa and uh, Kigali uh, for CNBC Africa. We covered lots and lots of financial news uh, in that space, created lots of data and uh, helped people really understand the deal flow on the continent, then came back to help the establishment of BBC Africa. Started off there as uh, uh, looking after uh, the weekly long forms for business. And then uh, that was in English, Swahili and French. Then uh, moved on to uh, be the co-productions editor. And like you said, yeah, basically co-production was uh, BBC, as you know, has been a fantastic uh, news outlet, global, well-known uh, and for its credibility and standing for the truth. And uh there's lots and lots of partners who work with the BBC across the continent. And so part of the Africa expansion program then was to look at, can we build capacities for these people uh, that we're working with? Can we help them tell their stories better? And so that is what I was looking after for East Africa. And so, so that's the long definition of what a co-productions editor is. But basically, I'm just a storyteller and helping uh, tell our stories better, tell a story of nuance, tell a story that really has people in the heart of it. So I was born in Nakuru, which is about 150 kilometers off of Nairobi. Sorry, in Nairobi, we use kilometers. So try and do the math for miles. That's right? no kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty normal background, normal childhood. Uh, but here's a fun fact. So, so I didn't go to college to study journalism. I, I went to study vet medicine. Okay. <laughs> really? Because I was watching, I was watching that video and I thought I loved animals and you know <laughs> that sort of thing. But midway through that, I I kind of gravitated towards the arts and public speaking and that sort of thing and featured in numerous TV uh, commercials, different kind of performance arts, hosted events, and so that sort of got me towards this. Obviously, I didn't know that you know. Journalism is what it was. I just knew what I didn't want to do. That was staring down a microscope for hours on end. But long story short, after about four years of that, I shifted and started practicing, then went back to school to learn journalism. And like they say, the rest is history. Wow. That is amazing. And I guess that is also... You mentioned about the hobbies. Sorry to jump in. I forgot about that. So, um... (laughs) So I run. 
not just because I'm Kenyan. That not all Kenyans run, by the way. But, <laughs> but I know I, that's, I, that's not a I, stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm a what you call a recreational runner, not a pro runner, but fairly consistent. My specialty is half marathon. Uh, that's twenty-one kilometers, and yeah, it's difficult training for it. But after you're done, you feel it's worth all the trouble you put in. Well, you're my hero because I can only run about two miles. So <laughs> for you to run as Actually, far as that. Also, it's just not too bad. <laughs> but I feel good after that. So that's my own little yeah. marathon oh, just for me. But how exciting is that? <laughs> Absolutely. And I give you kudos too because, you know, we a lot of people don't talk about making a career pivot. And so you know, you starting out being interested in veterinary medicine and moving to journalism just shows that it can be done and be done successful. So I just want to make sure to acknowledge that and how great that is for you. I mean, the the thing that I I always remind people is that at times when you pivot and you shift to something totally different and you have some level of success, people think, oh, you always knew you wanted to do this or, you, you know, I didn't know. And most people actually don't. So there's a level of right. introspection and uh, self-awareness that at times it could only be, I know what I don't want, but I'm not so clear on what I want. And so yeah. when you're in, in a space where there's peer mentorship and you're exposed to the things that you gravitate towards, then it, the vision or whatever it is becomes clearer. If you believe in purpose and whatever, that becomes clearer. But I mean, my point is it's never, it's never clear from the get-go. You have to figure it out as you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for that. I will say from the, you know, I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia and on the East Coast of the U.S. And I'm fascinated with the workplace and business and what have you. And what I have been encouraged about, especially over the last, I'll say, five to seven years is that America has gotten out of its silo a little bit from just being focused on the U.S. to really being interested in other countries. And Africa is really a hot spot right now, business-wise, you know, educational-wise. Um, it's the new frontier, if you will. So yeah. I'm curious, you know, because I, I know you, uh, before you were in co-production, you covered a lot of the business sector and government sectors. Are you seeing greater interest in Africa from other countries outside of Africa? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen lots and lots of interest. So obviously, first, if you look at, say, the late late 90s going into 2000s, there was very little known on the continent. We had a big data problem where there's there's stuff that is happening. I mean, that was a period of Africa rising. (laughs) but all this data was in different spots. So if you're an investor in the US or you're a policymaker and you want to come to the continent, you don't even know where to start because you don't know what's happening there. Then you move into the early 2000s and uh, there's a lot more conversation. There's uh, greater internet penetration. There's a lot of integration from the communication space and Africa starts to speak to each other. We start seeing lots of conversations in the regional blocks. So trade starts to move, leaders starts to speak to each other. And then there's this craze of, hey, Africa perhaps is a next stop in terms of um, resources for, for manufacturing and everybody comes here. And it looked like the Chinese beat everybody to, <laughs> to Africa, you know, in terms of setting up that. And then 
move that to 2010s, going to 2015s, where now Africa is saying, hold on, we are not just sources of raw material or resources for your industries. We also want a conversation at the table. We want to value what we want to expand our industries. And then we see uh, better negotiations, better deals signed over the continent. But you're right. I mean, there is a lot of interest right now, courtesy of the fact that the world is becoming smaller and everybody else can speak to each other. But also there's an awareness amongst African leaders that, you know, we need to get our act together to be able to have a seat at the table. But that excitement, in my view, looking at my crystal ball, is likely to go on. Africa has a fairly young population. There's a lot more integration um, within countries. Uh, there's also, you know, um, a lot of excitement in terms of a lot of the things that did work properly in the West. So, for example, if you look at uh, conversations about uh, climate change, for example, Africa has a lot better chance to, you know, fix those wrongs in terms of the policies that are making now. So that is fairly exciting. But also just opportunities to attack new markets. You know, we're looking at a continent that is fragmented into small little countries. But then if you're an investor, if you want to go global, if you're scaling up your, your industry, your business, then this is a market that is attractive. I see right now lots of interest. And like you said, there's a lot of knowledge about the continent outside than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And my sense is that we're going to see a more integrated world uh, where Africans and everybody else get a lot more integrated as global citizens engaging in trade and whatnot. You know, so, I mean, it's a fantastic place for a young continent, as they call it. And really, I think the honors is for the people making the laws, for the leadership to really try and figure out how do we best place our future generations to have a seat at this global table. So I think it's really exciting um, for the continent right now. Yeah, I agree. And I must say, you know, you can probably tell me more because you live there and you live and breathe this every day. I get a little nervous sometimes because there is so much additional potential there that I'm a, I'm nervous that other countries might come and try to take a bigger piece of the pie than they may should have. And the the citizens don't benefit as much. Because I know even when I was at Microsoft, we had global teams and groups that we took to different countries so that they could have a bigger global immersion and have a better appreciation. And I know there's a lot of venture capitalists that set up incubators for, you know, new tech companies or new whatever company sectors they're in hoping to cash in on some of the advancements that come into the uh, continent. So it, it maybe it's just me, but I just want it to be a win-win. That's, I guess that's yeah. my concern. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we've it's an issue that we've talked about for so long. I've covered it as a journalist. We got into a space where this excitement or this potential was there, but lots of African organizations didn't know how to uh, take advantage of it. So then first, we had the wave of brain drain and massive exits by educated Africans. So Africans would go either for scholarships or further education in the West and they don't come back. Or educated Africans would then leave because they had the papers to go back in the West. That is slowly changing because there's some Af- an African awareness that is coming and we are seeing a lot more move back. If you look at Ghana, for example, there's lots and lots of people. There's a project, actually a huge campaign to try and get Ghanaians back home to build their country. And this is happening across Rwanda, Kenya, and a lot of other countries. 
Um, but you mentioned about opportunities, and we've seen, rightly so, lots of excitement around the VC space. Um, we had a major challenge where, I mean, VC was a protected space. We've seen lots of Pan-Africanism that is sort of driving the whole excitement about Africans reclaiming their space, coming back. And like I did mention, there are lots and lots of examples of this movement. If you look at Ghana, if you look at Rwanda, uh, Zambia, Kenyans uh, are coming back home to, you know, sort of build this. But I'd like to talk a little bit more about the excitement around the VC space, right? So Africa was obviously a virgin market where lots of players in the VC space uh, from Silicon uh, uh, Valley would, would come here, set up, beautiful companies, and ship back the profits. And we also see lots and lots of, I mean, disproportionately higher number of organizations that are led by uh, white founders or foreign founders uh, would always get more funding. And so I know, for example, several organizations that are now ecosystem builders that are campaigning and trying to prop up local founders, women founders, uh, to be able to take part in these opportunities. And that is shifting. We're seeing a lot more local grown startups and enterprises really step up, compete, and are able to really, uh, you know, operate globally. So I'm excited that everybody's coming here, but there's a lot that is changing to try and revert that. I'm glad that lots of our policy makers are learning this now. For example, in Kenya and I guess Nigeria as well, we have startup uh, bills in parliament that sort of guide how investment in that space is done. So that is changing and, and it can be influenced by leadership in the sense of being very thoughtful about what's happening globally and having an awareness and not in our nationalistic sort of way, but um, in a space that props up you know, the local players and allows them to compete. Um, so I'm excited about this. I'm not too worried about uh, being taken advantage of by everybody else. I think um, Africa now has a voice. They should be able to stand up for what they believe is rightfully theirs. Uh, but we need to guard and protect a space where our founders, our entrepreneurs can compete, can interact, can do business with everyone else across the globe. Love that. Absolutely love that. And I totally agree. And keeping with the, the theme, like I mentioned, you and your you know 15-year history as the in the media space, I'm sure there have got to be at least one or two stories of people who are doing really big things that really impressed you. And I know how hard it is to impress a journalist. You know, they're always trying to find a great story with a great angle and pick and choose. So can you share with us one either individual or entity or company or organization, famous or not? that has really earned your respect as being a leader in their space? Right. Gosh, like you said, it's 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 kind of like your kids, so you can't pick who's the favorite, right? But being a journalist on the continent, I have been a witness to a lot of fantastic, you know, organizations and people and leaders who are really stepping up and, you know, like I said, leading from the heart, courageously taking these steps to influence generations and, and populations. First off, my list would be president of the Africa Development Bank, very charismatic Nigerian uh, president. Uh, what's his name? Gosh, it's disappearing. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Under pressure, right? <laughs> there you go. President uh, it's going to come to you, but... President what Adesina. Is... So... <laughs> Adesina, okay. 
President Adesina was a one-time agriculture minister for Nigeria. He went to become the president of the FDB, and the organization has had lots of impact, courtesy of his leadership, where he is able to integrate lots of data and research that has been put there, but then merging it with the reality on the ground and just seeing a leader step up and inspire change in such a huge organization that is designed to drive development on the continent. For me, I think that speaks to, you know, it's, it, it earns my admiration, but also just looking at how can somebody who use the office in which they're in to impact such change. So that, for me, has been fantastic. Since I'm Kenyan, I'd, I'd, I'd be selfish and give you a Kenyan example as well. And this would, is not an individual, but an organization, right? Sure, um, absolutely. Everybody knows about M-Pesa, right? It's a mobile money transfer system. M-Pesa was uh, a brainchild of Safaricom, one of the leading telcos in the country. But we've seen lots and lots of blue chip companies roll out fantastic products with populations. But it's the transformative power that M-Pesa had in terms of just lifting people from poverty, an element of inclusivity in terms of bringing the rural populations into the financial system and allowing them to trade, to send money home, to integrate. M-Pesa is a verb in Kenya. You know, you M-Pesa somebody money. And for me, those are fantastic examples of, you know, when you have very, you know, visionary leaders who are able to take advantage of the resource and the convening power of the offices in which they hold to drive change. So that, for me, those two would be things that really stand out, that whatever sector you are in, I mean, it's not so much about the profit anymore in the bottom line. It's also about the kind of influence and the transformative power that you have and actual impact that you have on people's lives. I love that. And you know what? Even in the stories of those two that you just spoke about, you touched on each one of the tactics that I write about in my book, (laughs) you know, bringing their expertise to the table and finding ways to do things when others haven't really thought about it and driving for results to impact Mm -hmm. the community and all of that, you know, all of that. I absolutely understand why you selected uh, those two examples. And for our listeners, I'll make sure to reference these in the show notes so that you can learn more uh, both about um, President Adesia and Impressa. Was it Impressa? Adesia. Okay, gotcha. Uh, uh, So we'll make sure that we get this correct and and put it in the show notes. Yeah. Impressa. Okay, gotcha. So thank you for that. I'm just curious, do you think that others give or are aware of how impressive both the president and the company are? Are they widely known in Kenya? Have you all covered them well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these two characters have been well covered. And I think it makes it even easier for people to know them because of the impact of the organizations they lead and and, and sort of of their work. So a lot of people, even those who may not really understand what's happening in the financial world, sort of get an understanding of who these people are or, or what these organizations stand for. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, I'd like to pivot just a little bit because this is going to lead into something that you had shared with me earlier. First of all, you were kind enough to share that out of the tactics that I write about in my book, uh, the one that really resonated with you was leading with courageous agility. 
And listeners, if you don't remember, leading with courageous agility is all about having the courage and the fortitude to do what you think is right or stand up for what you believe in, even if the future is unclear. And so, Bonnie, you had um, shared that that was one that really resonated with you and that you're also very passionate about leading from the heart and having courage and empathy. And so I'd love to understand both what in your terms, in your words, why leading with courageous agility really resonated with you. And what does leading with the heart mean for you? Right. So courage for me, I think, is a key character that lots of leaders in the present world need. And having worked in fairly large organizations, we have systems, right? And those systems have been built over time. And those systems sort of hold the organizations together. The challenge is that when you are part of such an organization, at times effecting change becomes difficult, right? Because we have ways of doing things. I think courage in a leader is you stepping up to this is the space that I have. This is the information that I have. This is where I need to take my people, my team. Do I have the courage to actually take them? So some of these decisions might be unpopular. Some of them might not be popular, especially amongst the people who sign their checks. So in terms of finance, some of them might require disturbance of the interdependence between the teams uh, that do operate. And some of them might require changing the status quo in terms of how things are done. Now, some of these changes might not be bad. They just might be uncomfortable. I think a leader needs to be able to, once they are persuaded that we're marching in the right direction, be able to inspire courage amongst the people that they're leading to be able to make these things. Remember, I my understanding of leadership, and at least what I've been able to do, is that you are not the implementer. Right, your job is to birth the vision, develop it, and influence your people enough to carry it as their own. Right, and so um, right. you also need the courage to be able to, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of we don't know what's next. Especially now, we are living at times where you know there's a lot of disruptions, there's a lot of uncertainty um, in the financial world, in the policy world, and a lot could change. You've seen companies lay off, you've seen companies take unpopular decisions. But being a leader who's able to say, hey, I'm persuaded that this is where we are going and this is where I want to go. But also that is a product open conversation and vulnerability amongst leaders where you're able to allow your team to question the direction you're taking them. Because until they feel comfortable, then you're not, you you, won't seek them. You will be leading and running too far off and you've left everybody else behind. So I sense that courage in two ways. One, in speaking clearly the vision and, you know, leading your people towards that, but courage to be able to be in spaces where the people that you work with and the people that you lead are able to question, you know, the vision and you're able to give answers that direct them, courtesy of your persuasion as a leader. So that's my sense. But coming back to leading from the heart, it comes from empathy. So I was leading my team through COVID. And there was a lot that had to change in how we did things. First, you're moving from working on site to remote, and you're trying to ensure that technically your tools work, but also the human resource 
adaptive and productive in the spaces that they are, they are in. And so that was very difficult because it came with a lot of change in the workflows, in how KPIs are done, in how do you measure performance in your people, how do you communicate, how do you handle difficult conversations. All that was messed up because COVID just created this wall around everyone. But what I learned that I think as a leader made it bearable and a little bit easier to get my team across through that because it happened when we were at the heart of projects that we're doing and there's a lot of excitement and work around it. But then um, it inhibited how we would work in terms of collaboration, in terms of getting things done in time. The whole idea was when people understand that as a leader, you know where they are and you feel and you identify with the challenges that they do, then they are more responsive. They tend to carry their weight more. Because often in many organizations, when there's a challenge, the leaders tend to have it easier. You know, they would be the first ones to decide who works remotely or not. They would be the first ones to get jabbed. They'll be, you know, it's always better when you're at the top. But if you're able to clearly communicate that you're empathetic and you understand um, the challenges that they're facing in trying to just get their job done, then it's a lot easier. They tend to believe you because they know you're part of them. So I think empathy is not just a tool, but a skill that the, the modern day leader needs to have in the sense that it's not always about driving people to get to a goal, but it's working with them and helping them understand that at the end of the day, outside of the work, they're just human beings, right? And they demand the dignity and the respect (laughs) that, you know, that exists. So for me, I think those two are big because first, you can be an effective leader, but then when your people know that you know what they're going through, and when your people see the courage you have in spelling out the vision and in taking decisions towards that, then it becomes, it's, you build a solid team. But one last thing again get about being a courageous leader is a lot of huge organizations are fairly bureaucratic. And so there's a lot of politics. Very. Just getting Not fairly, very. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of politics mm-hmm. in getting things done, even positive things, good things. And so being courageous enough to navigate this and still speak your truth while focusing, you know, keeping your eye on the ball is very important because we get caught up in the politics, in the in the bureaucracy and in the in the in the in the groupings that exist in organizations. But if you're able to still keep your eye on the ball despite of all of this, then you tend to be a lot more effective. Absolutely. Boy, we can drop the mic at that. That is so insightful right there. If everybody could take that in and follow <laughs> that and have that empathy. They'll be superstars. But before I let you go, Boni, I've got to know for you personally, because you are a very thoughtful and insightful individual. um, You know, leadership is hard. I mean, any any leader, even if you're leading as an individual, it's a hard thing to do well. And I'm just curious, what does it take for you to lead at the top of your game? What do you try to concentrate on? I know empathy, but what else do you do to try to be at your best? I think being authentic in the sense of honesty in terms of how you communicate and what the goals are and how to get people. So being very clear and honest with the team. I think a lot of times as leaders, we, we are disingenuous because we're caught up with power. We, we are the top, right? We're doing all these bossy things. Right. But I think when people see a genuineness in the kind of direction that you're pointing them to, 
then they tend to join and be part of the team. You know, so my idea of leadership is defining the vision, but mentoring people to get there, not running and hoping that they catch up, but actually going with them through the challenges, but with a clear vision of this is where we want to go. So genuineness, I don't know if there's a word like that, but we can make it up in leadership for me is very uh-huh. important. And I think that then is what I would want to be remembered for in terms of your very clear, genuine, and thoughtful in leading the teams that you are. Wow. Well, I think that's exactly what you're going to be remembered for because <laughs> uh, you come across as very empathetic, authentic, insightful. You name the adjective, you've done it. And this has um, you know, been a fantastic episode. So I hate to go because we're at the end of time, but um, I want to thank you so much for the courage to be part of this special series uh, featuring journalists and editors around the world. And thank you so much for the gift of your insight. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to listening to this and a lot more of the other leaders that you've spoken to over time. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. And thank you to listeners for tuning in to another episode of Lead at the Top of Your Game. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Boni Tunya, editor for co-production for BBC Africa. Links to his bio, his entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and on the web at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of global leadership in Africa. Now, I thought it might be helpful to help you better understand both the opportunities and the challenges that Africa faces as they continue to lead their seat on the global stage. Now, if your company or employer is not yet doing business in Africa, believe me, it may be just around the corner because Africa is one of the last untapped opportunities for business expansion. So I want to help you become a bit more globally astute about what Africa's rise may eventually mean for you. Now, in the show notes, I want you to be sure to check out two resources. I have the links there. It's too much to tell you about right here, but believe me, it's um, some fantastic information. The first resource is World Bank's take on the state of Africa. And in particular, I want you to learn more about Sub-Saharan Africa, which is an extremely diverse region uh, composed of low, lower middle, upper middle, and high income countries. But what's interesting, out of all the countries, there are 22 of which which are classified as fragile or conflict-affected. However, this region boasts rich natural resources, the world's largest free trade area, and a 1.2 billion person market. Now, I will note that growth remains uneven across the whole continent of Africa. Um, For instance, while, you know, East Africa has a growth rate of about 1.8% in 2023. Uh, West Africa is expected to grow at 3.3% this year. So quite a difference across the continent. The second resource I want you to check out is from the McKinsey Global Research Division. And it's entitled Reimagining Economic Growth in Africa, Turning Diversity into Opportunity. 
Now, this article is absolutely pure gold as it highlights how the GDP per capita is struggling, how there is no quote unquote one Africa because of the divergence across the countries and how Africa is the world's fastest urbanizing region, but it depends too heavily on its primary cities versus including its uh, rural areas. Just absolutely fascinating. So take a look at that article as well. But if I can leave you with anything, it is to get curious about the world if you're not already. There is unlimited opportunity out there for you on a personal or business or career level. It may not be Africa. Maybe it's in Europe or maybe it's in South America or somewhere else. But just be open to the opportunities that the universe places in your path. And believe me, you'll be so much the richer. Well, that's all for today. Uh, Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with just one friend because by doing so, you will empower them to also lead it at the top of their game. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.